Got a couple more seats open up up here if you're looking for a spot. Thank you for uh, all your help this past week. For uh, those of you who prayed, appreciate that very much. We had some, uh, we had a good time with the kids, and were able to to be able to uh, share the gospel with them and develop some relationships, and had some good conversations with parents as well. And uh, so, you continue praying for these kids in these contexts that we have we have and need to be following up on as well. So. Uh, but I appreciate all your help. I know it's a big sacrifice to give up your evenings, and um, and especially Friday evening is, was uh, a lot involved there with the teardown and things. So thank thank you very much for all your help. Well, I've been saying uh, when it comes to salvation that from beginning to end, salvation is of God. And um, so when I say that, does that mean that we are inactive in our own salvation? that God is behind our salvation from beginning to end. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will continue it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, so when I say that, do I mean that we are inactive in our own salvation or in the salvation of others? Do we have any part in that or do we just sit back and, and simply do nothing? And these are the questions that I want to answer this class, and that's why I call this the instrumentality of salvation. I'll talk about what that means here after we pray. So let me pray and ask God's help as we do this. Father, we thank you for how you have provided for us the way to Jesus, or the way to yourself through Jesus Christ. We were lost. We were dead. We did not deserve to come to you because of our sin. We deserved your judgment, your wrath but we're thankful that You did bring us to Yourself. Help us to understand our part in all of this. And may You receive the praise because of what we learn and understand this morning. Give us the eyes to see, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're on class 3 of our Systematic Theology Part 2, so it's really class 16 of a 26-week class on studying the basic doctrines of the Scripture. And we're in the doctrine of salvation. We move to the doctrine of the church next week. And over the last two weeks, we've looked at the different aspects of salvation, and I've given you ten of them from start to finish that God has a hand in. Can you name any of those for me? Go ahead and just say about What was the first? Election. Election. That's the very first one that God chose us. We're going to go through each one of these here in a second, but just give me a couple more here that you can think of. Calling, okay. Anything else? Justification is one. Regeneration, where the Spirit imparts life to the believer or to the the person. Glorification, good. Conversion, all right, good. And then there are adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and death. So let me begin here by, we'll go over those just in a second. I'll show you how how we have a role or where we do have a role in those those aspects of salvation. So let me talk about instrumentality. Why am I calling this instrumentality? It seems like a big word and maybe a little bit unhelpful. All right. Instrumentality means that it is our response to what God has already done in salvation. Okay, we are simply tools that God uses to accomplish what 
he has already decided to do. Okay, so we... And there's lots of other words we could use for our part in salvation. That's what I'm trying to get at. Our part in salvation. I could use the word means. Okay? That the means of our salvation is our faith and repentance. But that's technically not correct. And, um, and it's important that we understand this. That we do not bring about our own salvation. That, that we're simply, and this is why I use this word, instruments in our own salvation. God's already determined to do it. Election. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He has brought us. He has drawn us to Himself. He has given us spiritual life. Regeneration. And our simple response is the instrument that He used to, to finalize that really is our, our part there. Okay, That's our part. So we're not really the means we're simply an instrument that God's used, God uses. And so I've mentioned several verses that talk about how God is behind our salvation from beginning to end. And I'll just uh, mention a few of them here. John chapter 3, verse 3. You must be... What does Jesus tell Nicodemus there? You must be what? Born again. Okay, You have to be born again. We can't birth ourselves, right? Okay, we have to be born again. Someone else has to... Give us life. And that's God, obviously. Chapter 3, verse 5. Unless you are born of the water, the Spirit, or, unless you're born of the water and of the Spirit, uh, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says. John 6, 44. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. And we can't come to God unless God first draws us. Acts 13, 48. All who are appointed to eternal life believed. God had already appointed people to eternal life and as a result they believed. They they were just the instruments in it. God had already done the work. Acts 16:14. Who opened the heart of Lydia so that she could believe? It was God. It was the Lord who opened Lydia's heart. 1 Corinthians 1:18. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. We can't even understand the Gospel unless the Spirit gives us illumination. He enlightens our minds so that we can see the truth of the Gospel. And I could give you a hundred more verses. You could probably come up with several yourself that shows that God is the one who takes responsibility for our salvation. When I say salvation, I'm talking about here from beginning to end. That God takes responsibility for it all. We can't bring about our own salvation of our own will. Now, now why am I talking about this? You know, we, we've kind of touched on this. Um, most people here would agree that God has to do the work. But the reason I bring the, this up is because there are loads of Christians even out there who believe that God has really no part or very little part in our salvation. And not only that, He doesn't even know if we're going to be saved or not. That that he and what they're trying to do to their credit is they're trying to protect the free will of man, the free will of mankind, that that we have a choice in it. Otherwise, they think that the only other option is that we become robots, right? We're just God, just he, you know, we're just like a little puppet, and God makes us do what He wants us to do, and we're simply completely passive, and they don't want to think that way. They can't 
imagine that that would be possible. But what they fail to recognize, those who think that God has little or no part in salvation, is that there's another alternative. It's not that we're robots, but that our free wills are compatible with God's sovereignty. Our free wills are compatible with God's sovereignty. That is, that that God is the one who causes us to come to a place of saving faith, and at the same time, we are expressing faith and repentance on the basis of our own desire. We want to do it. And so, in a sense, God is directing our desire. But here's the problem with with those those people who think that God has little part in salvation. The problem with that is that if we are completely free to make a choice as to what we want to do, then then really that's outside of God's control. So God is controlling parts of the world, but as far as our own hearts, as far as who will come to Him, God's not really controlling that. They, They kind of just are left out there to do whatever they want. And so that means that God is not really sovereign, is He? In that sense, He's not really in control. What the Bible teaches is that we both that both of these things are true. That we have a, an opportunity to choose. We have a free will. But at the same time, it's compatible with God's sovereignty that nothing... We, we can't do anything apart from God's sovereign choice. In Proverbs, it says that uh, the king's hand is in the heart of the Lord and he turns it whichever way he wishes. And I take that to mean both believing and unbelieving kings. So that no person on earth uh, can do anything apart from God's sovereign plan. So God turns a person, believing or unbelieving, like he turns a river uh, through, through the, uh, the valleys. And so there is a sense in which we are free and there's another sense in which we're not free because God is the one who regenerates us. God's the one who captivates us. So when I say that that we are free, that's true, but I mean in the sense that we're not coerced. We're not forced to do it. Um, that we are doing it compatibly with God's sovereign power. And so when it comes to our personal salvation... Um, sorry about this. Several verses here that I uh, I mentioned earlier. When it comes to our salvation, we cannot act independently of God. It may it may have felt like that when you came to Christ. It may have felt like I'm I'm drawing God to me. I'm coming to God. It may have felt like that, but actually what was happening is God is drawing you to Him. And you don't have to understand that when you first come to Christ. But but once you see this in the Scripture, you should be able to affirm it. And um, and quite frankly, the, the problem with this view over here is that they fully don't understand the nature of man. That, what does Ephesians 2.1 say? When you were sick in your trespasses and sin, then you asked for an elixir to help get you better. Is that what you needed? You need some sort of a spiritual medicine? And if God just provides you with the Spirit, you were asking for it like you go to the doctor. Is that what happened when we came to Christ? No, what does the text say? 
you were what? Dead. How does a dead person ask to, to receive life? How does he do that? Okay, how do you and I ask for salvation? And the point is, we can't. We can't do it because it is God who has to regenerate us. He has to impart spiritual life to us when we are spiritually dead. And the immediate response of that is faith and repentance. Um, in fact, our hearts are so depraved that Romans 8 says that our the mindset on the flesh does not subject itself to the law of God, nor is it even able to do so. It's not only that we don't do it, we don't set our minds to do what God wants, but we aren't even able to do it. Even if we wanted to do it, we wouldn't be able to. And so God has to impart life. So salvation from beginning to end is of God. Now, this is where I want to turn. In which aspects of salvation do we play a role? Because here's the other extreme. We can go to this extreme and say it's all us. I'm the one who has to choose. God's not a part of this. Or we can go to the other extreme and say it's all God and I did absolutely nothing. I'm just going to just sit here and if God wants to save me, He saves me. Whatever. Okay, So I don't have to evangelize. I don't have to pray for other people. I don't have to pray for myself. I don't have to express faith and repentance. Let's work through these ten aspects of salvation and you tell me which ones we have a part in and then we'll talk about how those play in to uh, God having a work, God, God doing the work and ourselves doing the work. Let's start with this first one, election. Okay, does anyone elect themselves before the foundations of the world? Does anyone choose themselves? No. Who does that? Okay, so this one is all of God. Gospel call. This is when the gospel is given to us. Does anyone call themselves? Does anyone uh, write the scriptures for themselves so that they can understand it themselves? No. Someone else has to either give them a text of scripture, or they need to they they need to explain the gospel to them. Right? It has to be. It's something that's done outside of us. Regeneration. Who of us gave spiritual lives? spiritual life to ourselves and not one of us. So, so again, this is all of God. God chose us. God called us. God regenerated us. Now, conversion. What did I say conversion was? Do you remember? Faith and repentance. Okay, now, do we have any role in faith and repentance? Does anyone express faith when they come to Christ? And that's a yes. Does anybody repent? Yes, they have to, right? Now, what I'm suggesting to you, the reason I started the way that I did was that God is behind that too. That God gets the credit for that too. But ultimately, we still have to do some work here. We have a responsibility. Okay, so that one is a yes. So I'll bold that one. Justification. Once we repent and believe, does anyone justify themselves? Does anyone declare themselves to be righteous? Do, do you say after you come to Christ, I now declare myself to be righteous? No. Who does that? Okay, this is all of God. So that's another no. Alright, adoption. Does anyone adopt themselves into the family of God? No. Alright, so that's God as well. Sanctification. Does anyone sanctify themselves? And maybe I should say that a bit, little bit differently. Do we have any role in our own sanctification? And the answer is what? Yes, we do. Okay, God sanctifies us, yes. 
He's the one who's changing us ultimately. But we have a role, a role in it. Work out your own salvation, Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation with fear and what? Trembling. Okay, so that's sanctification. We have a role in that. And then perseverance. Do we have a responsibility to persevere to the end? Or is that all of God? Okay, obviously God is expecting us to do something there. Now, hopefully we don't have any role in our own death. And then glorification. Do we glorify ourselves? No. Okay, so here... God is involved in all ten of these aspects of salvation from beginning to end, but He expects us to play a part in our own conversion in the sense that we express our faith and repentance and in our own growth in godliness. Does that make sense? Alright, so let's talk about our responsibility in salvation. The first one is conversion. And we'll call this initial faith and repentance. Conversion that there is a responsibility that we have. And then the second part, I'm just going to put these two together, sanctification and perseverance. Okay, Sanctification is our growth in godliness, our turning from sin to God. Perseverance is doing it all the way until the end. Okay, so initial faith and repentance and ongoing faith and repentance. This is what a believer should, should look like. Alright, so let's start with the first one. Initial faith and repentance, conversion. Everything before this, it was all of God. When we get to here, God expects us to do something. Turn to Acts 16.31. This is a verse we had the kids memorize this week at Vacation Bible School. Some of them did. Uh, This is actually one of the bonus verses. Acts 16.31. Would someone read that for us? All right. Paul talking to the um, uh, the Philippian jailer there in Acts 16.31. Okay, you and your whole household, when you believe, then you'll be saved. So here's what we should learn from that. In order to be saved, okay, it's true, God must do a work. But in order to be saved, we must, believe. This is active. Okay, We have a part in it. God could have planned that, that He brought us to salvation and completed our salvation completely independently of us. And He could have made us into complete robots, but He didn't. He could have required absolutely nothing of us, including no faith, no repentance. But, but instead, He chose us to show us His mercy and show us that that um, that He is a great God, and so He demanded of us that we repent and believe. So, if we're going to come to Christ, we have to believe. Uh, Romans three twenty two through twenty five says um, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. And this was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. So there it says in verse 25 that the propitiation that comes and is put on our account, okay, that is the displacing of God's wrath, is through our faith. Okay, So we have to express our own faith. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. 
All right. So in order to be saved for us or anybody, we have to trust in Christ and His substitutionary atonement. Um, but faith is not the only instrument that God requires of us. The other one is repentance. In order to be saved, we, need, we must believe. And in order to be saved, we must repent of our sins. Jesus, actually John the Baptist, at the beginning of His ministry, um, was uh, preaching the Gospel. And when He did, He said, repent and believe. He put both of those together. And you'll find those terms, by the way, often coupled in Scriptures. Uh, repent and believe. Jesus said the same thing in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. His Gospel was one to uh, one of salvation, and if the Jews would repent and believe, then they could be saved. Uh, Acts twenty twenty one. They must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, and repentance is more than just a sorrow for sin, because remember Judas was sorrowful for his sin, returned the money after he had betrayed our Lord. Um, but but real sorrow leads to what? God, I should say, godly sorrow leads to, it leads to change or, or repentance. Okay, godly sorrow leads to repentance, and so we need to acknowledge that God is our Lord and submit ourselves to Him. So this means that conversion is a work of God. That God is the one who draws us to Himself, but He still requires that we play a role. Okay, we play a role by expressing our faith and and repentance. But it's ultimately a work of God. Look at... Would you turn to John chapter 1 with me at verse 13? John chapter 1, verse 13. Actually, let's start in verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Okay, our birth, our spiritual birth, is not because of human decision, but it's because of what God has done. Um, and uh, our biggest problem to bringing about our own salvation is our our sinful hearts. We can't come to God on our own because of our sinfulness. And quite frankly, we are deceived into thinking that we are okay. And that's why the Scriptures call us spiritually dead. We need life to be imparted to us. Colossians 2.13 When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. 1 John 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So, so there's that idea that when we actually express our faith in God, in Jesus Christ, we don't know it at the time, but actually what's happening there is, is that we have already been born of God. That's what 1 John 5.1 Everyone says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has already been born of God. God has already done the work in them. Ephesians 2.8 it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. But it's not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God so that no one can, can boast. Okay, so, so God does the work of granting faith 
But we're not exempt from, and I'm going to put these together and not make them opposed to each other. God grants our faith, but we're not exempt from expressing our faith. Do you see? It's hard to understand how those things fully work together, but the Scriptures put them together. God grants us the faith. We express our faith. And true faith and, and repentance begin to occur at one point in our lives, but they're, they're not only for that one point. Okay? They should continue on. And so, it's really helpful when I type out all these verses, isn't it? <laughs> Ongoing faith and repentance. Okay, so, yes, we should express faith and repentance initially. God expects that of us, but He also expects an ongoing faith and repentance. And this is what is known as sanctification or we could say perseverance. Okay, so not only do we have a responsibility to express our faith, conversion, but when we're once we are saved, we must come uh, we must continue in faith and repentance. Okay, in order for us to grow, God expects us to continue in faith and repentance. Um, Ephesians 4.15 says that we should grow up into all aspects uh, unto Him who is, who is the, uh, the head of the church, even Christ. In Romans 6.12 and 13, Paul tells the Christians in Rome to fight, against, um, to fight against their evil desires and not offer their bodies to sin. Instead, they should offer their bodies as instruments of righteousness. In Colossians, Paul prays, that you would bear fruit in every good work and grow up in the knowledge of God, that you would be strengthened by all power according to His glorious might. So, so Paul is expecting, what God is expecting of you is, is for you to grow. And, and, and the reason is so that we would be fruitful. We would live lives worthy of the Lord. And we would please God. And um, so how does this happen? Okay, How does this happen? Just as our faith and repentance were a work of God, that is, God is the one who granted us the faith and repentance, so our sanctification is a work of God. It happens by the Spirit through the Word. All right, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, this is the, what I think is the classic verse on growth in godliness. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I, I point you here often. It's a good one for you to memorize. Verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Would someone read that for us? Alright, whereas Moses had a, a veiled look at God when he was on the mountain, we have really an unveiled look because we have the Spirit. We have the, well, we have the Scriptures, I should say. That is, that when we behold in, as we're looking into a mirror, the glory of the Lord through the Scriptures, then the Spirit transforms us. That's how change happens. That word transform is the Greek word uh, metamorphumatha or something like that. I apologize, I should have written that down. But, but it's the idea of a metamorphosis, a changing process. It's, it's, a, it's a growth, a changing into 
something greater. And it's one level of glory to the other. Do you see at the end of the verse? Into the same image from glory. The idea there is from one level of glory to the other so that we move from babes in Christ, really, okay, to the next level. Toddlers in Christ or, or you know, small children. We're becoming more and more mature. This is what the Spirit does as we look into the Word. And so, we have these two aspects working together again. God's working in us and we're working for our own sanctification. Not that we're independent of God, but, but we're, we're sanctifying ourselves and God is sanctifying ourselves. You see? And we do this as we behold the Word through the power of the Spirit. The Spirit enlightens us. And this is why I, I, I often say that we have to be under the sound of God's Word. We have to be under its teaching and we have to be reading it and hearing it for ourselves. That is, taking it in ourselves just like we would food. Because it's the only way that we can grow spiritually. And if we're not growing spiritually, then that's an indication uh, that we never had life. First John says that they went out from us because they did not; they really were not of us. Okay, so we talked about this last week with perseverance. I think it was last week um, that those who don't continue in the faith and in repentance all the way till the end, they were never really saved. They were like the parable of the soils, the one who sprouted up quickly, showed signs of life, but they never bore any fruit. And so that means they never got down to the life-giving water. The, the roots never got down to the life-giving water, the Spirit that provides the growth that they need. Jesus told us how to, to grow, how the sanctification happens. In John 17:17, 17, 17, when He's praying to His Father, He says, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. Okay, so God, you change them. You change them. And here's how you do it. You do it through your truth and your word is truth. So it's not anything really that complicated. It's not like we have to have, okay, we need these ten steps to get there. It's simply getting into the word, understanding what God is saying and responding to it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. When we come into contact with the Word of God, uh, the Holy Spirit illumines the, the minds of the believers. He convicts them of sin. He challenges them to greater obedience. All right. So the Holy Spirit illumines the Word of God for believers. And then uh, turn over to First John here with me. First John chapter two. First John chapter two, verse twenty. Because the next thing we need to see is that the Holy Spirit teaches the believer the significance of the Scriptures. This is what illumination is. He teaches them what it means, helps them to understand its truth. First John two twenty. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. John talking to believers, and you all know. Verse twenty seven. As for you, the anointing which you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you abide in Him. 
Alright, so, so the Spirit resides in us. This is how Christ really resides in us, through His Spirit. And in that sense, He teaches us. He, he helps us to understand the significance of Scripture. You see, an unbeliever can look academically at the Scriptures and they can understand, okay, these are made up of sentences and paragraphs, propositional statements. They can understand its meaning, but they can't understand its significance. Okay, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for the society in which I live? But as a believer, you can understand those things because the Spirit resides in you and He imparts illumination. And so our response should be one of active obedience. Okay? So it's by the Spirit, through the Word, and through the believer's active obedience. Sometimes we view the Christian life as a mystical experience where you know, the Holy Spirit just kind of moves us and we are more just passive in the whole thing. Okay, and that can be the danger when we talk about God's sovereignty is we go too far and we say that then we do simp- we simply do nothing. So I don't need to pray. I don't need to witness. I'll just wait for God to kind of charge me, give me a jolt of sanctification. And that's not how it works. It happens. God works through means. Okay, God works through instruments. And the instrument that He requires of you is for you to express your faith to actually pray like he's told you to pray to actually witness because that's how god brings people to himself remember god could have done it any way he wanted he could have just he could have just zapped people and brought them to himself but he does it through means he does it through people he could have zapped you and caused you to grow immediately but he doesn't he does it through means he does it through you, as you look at the Word, as you actively obey Him. And that's why the Scriptures are full of commands for us to sanctify ourselves. Okay? You understand what I mean when I say that? That we are to, to work out our own salvation. Romans 12.1 Offer your bodies as living sacrifice. That's a command. You offer your bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 Flee from sexual immorality. Second um, Corinthians seven one, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. First John two fifteen and sixteen, do not love the world. These are all commands. Second Peter one five, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Okay, so just like initial faith and repentance, um, God expects something from us. So in ongoing faith and repentance. God expects something. But we should notice again that ultimately, sanctification is a work of God. Okay, God expects something of us, but ultimately it's a work of God. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. And would someone read that for us? Alright. I love how... What's that? In what? Right. 
Right. No, the way the the key phrase there in verse nine is practices sin. Okay, so no one who is born of God. What he's not saying is no one who is born of God is perfect. That's not what he's saying. And the reason I know that is because chapter two, um, verse one, has the same sort of idea. At the end of the verse, if anyone sins, uh, I'm sorry, verse two, verse one. Excuse me, my little children. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. Okay, so it sounds like John saying, what I'm trying to do is get you to a place of sinless perfection, but what's the very next phrase? And if anyone sins. Okay, in other words, or since you will sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and He Himself is the propitiation. Um, and there's another verse in here that says, if anyone says he has no sin, uh, verse 8 of chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, talking to believers, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so that's clearly not what John is saying. Now turn back to 3.9 I'll answer your question. No one who is born of God is sinless. Is that what John is saying? No. He's saying, and I love this translation, this is the New American Standard, no one who is born of God practices sin. That is, that they continue on in a pattern of unrepented sin. Okay, that's what believers uh, do not do. They don't continue in a pattern of unrepented sin. They turn from it. Okay, so in that sense, we still are sinners. Because if anyone says, chapter 1, verse 8, that he doesn't sin, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. But, if he's really born of God, he will not practice sin. Okay? So, he... If anyone, so let's let's put this on a spectrum. No sin over here, okay, or practicing sin over here. What John is saying is, if you're saying that you don't sin, you're a liar. But if you continue practicing sin, then you're not really born of God because those who are continuing in unrepented sin, does that make sense? Okay. Then 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 uh, the truth of God is not in them. Okay, so what I'm trying to show you here is that this is a work of God. They have to be born of God if they get to a place where they're not practicing sin. And uh, I hope you've seen that change in your own life. That there was a time when you were a practicer of sin. That you were involved. Obviously, we all were there, right? Before we came to Christ, we had to be there. But after you came to Christ, there should have been steps toward godliness, eliminating sin, moving towards righteousness. If that's not happening, John's saying that's a problem. Alright, so we can't sanctify ourselves fully. We certainly have a part, but we can't do it on our own efforts. God is the one who is behind it. And that's why Jesus prayed. Again, John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Um... 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Okay, We, we, We should pray for God to sanctify us and others because God's the one who ultimately has to do the work. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 and this is where we see God working in us and us working ourselves. This is our part, verse 12, continue to work out your salvation. Okay, In other words, sanctify yourselves with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you or God who sanctifies you. So let me just summarize these two verses. 
Sanctify yourself because God sanctifies you. Okay, this is the Christian life. Be working on your own salvation because God is working on your salvation. God expects us to not just sit here and do nothing, but to, to work. He works through means or instruments. This is a spiritual demand. And so we should have a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness. We should be uh, putting ourselves underneath the teaching of God's Word and responding to it as it, as it comes. Alright, any questions or comments on um, God's work in us? Okay, so we've seen the ten aspects of salvation. Seven of them are all of God. Okay, God chooses us. He calls us. He regenerates us. He justifies us. He adopts us. Uh, you know, he, he brings us to Himself. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. He glorifies us. But there are some aspects in which, obviously, yes, He has a part, but He expects us to do something. Jonathan. Is that Philippians 2 you're talking about? Yeah. For it is God who works in us. Right. Yeah, because we can't fully reconcile them. Like, how does this work? How does God's sovereignty work over our choice? We can't fully understand that. But, but when we see those together, that's what the Scripture writers do. They simply just put them side by side without trying to explain them. And so, that's part of the mystery of, of God and, and His amazing um, wisdom. Let me try to bring this together here to try to wrap this all up. God does the work of salvation from beginning to end or from start to finish. It's all God. Alright? But, we must keep this in mind. So that, um, and I put, I think I put this on your handout in a big, huge box. Those in whom God does a work of salvation will respond with faith and repentance. So, God does it from beginning to end, but those who He works, in whom He works, will respond with faith and repentance initially, conversion, and will continue on in ongoing faith and repentance. And in the end, what we will be able to see is that was a person who was born of God. And that person was born of God because I have seen the initial faith and repentance and the ongoing faith and repentance. The fruit. That's the idea there. Mark chapter 4, parable of the soils. So, let me just answer a couple of objections potentially that may come up in your mind. Does that mean we don't need to pray for unsaved people? Okay, because God's doing all the work. Uh, again, just because God is behind something doesn't mean He he, uh, he does it independently of us. Let me just point you to one verse here, Romans 10.1. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer for God my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Okay, Paul recognizes that, that God uses people to pray. This is one of the means by which God accomplishes his purposes. And if we're not going to be people who pray, then he's either going to get us to that point or he's going to use someone else. He's going to accomplish his purpose through His people, and He does it through their prayers. So we need to pray. Alright, does this mean that we don't have to witness? Does, it, does this mean that God's just going to bring everybody to Himself and it doesn't matter? 
turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. A helpful verse that I came across this week. 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. You know, if God's already chosen a person to salvation, then why witness? Why spend any effort on someone? 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Verse 9 For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the Word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Okay? So the first thing I want you to see at the end of verse 10 is that Paul's talking about a future situation. That is, people who have not been converted at this point so that they also may obtain or will obtain salvation. At this point, they haven't. What is Paul saying in the first part of the verse? I endure all these things for the sake of the elect, the ones who are already chosen. They've already been chosen. And Paul's saying, my suffering is worth it. Okay? I endure these change, these hardships. Why? I mean, I could, if, if I've believed in God's sovereignty to an extreme to say that, well, God is going to do it all so I don't have to do anything, then I'm not going to suffer for it. God's just going to do it any way He wants to. And Paul's saying, no. I am going to suffer. Why? Because I know this is the means by which God brings them to salvation. Remember in Acts when, when God told Paul, He said, I have many people in this city. And that should be a great encouragement to us. That, that God has... I mean, we can't fully accept that promise for us, okay, that we have many people in the city. But, but the point is that God has people who He wants to bring to Christ, who He has chosen to come to Christ, and He wants to use us as instruments. And if we're sitting back on the sidelines or sitting back on our easy chair, then, uh, then, uh, then we miss the point. Uh, God uses His people to bring about His plan. Any questions or comments? All right. Next week we're going to look at... Um, the Doctrine of the Church, and that will take uh, us through several weeks. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this study. I love all these doctrines to r- consider them once again, but but especially the Doctrine of the Church. I love the Church and what Christ did for it, and I think you will be encouraged to see it um, in the Scriptures freshly again. Let me pray, and I will be dismissed. Father, thank You for Your grace and salvation. I pray that You would uh, use... Uh, these words that have been expressed and these thoughts that have, we have looked at and these verses and uh, help us to be able to correlate them with our understanding, help us to be able to submit ourselves to them and uh, study them out further to make sure that what I'm saying is correct. I, I don't uh, speak as the authority, but I speak on the authority of the Word of God and so I pray that you would make it um, Make it stick for each one of us and uh, pray that you would help us to respond with a proper attitude and a, a proper love and, 
and uh, concern for our Savior who died for us. We thank you for how you do use us in your plan to accomplish your purposes. May you continue to do so, we pray. And also, we uh, ask for your help for Millie. Um, She had a a rough time this morning. We pray that you would uh, give her the rest and the care that she needs. Uh, She's gone several months now without uh, having a seizure, so I just pray that you would uh, just continue to help her there and help the doctors be able to regulate her medication. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.